0: Uh, what's up, what's up? Welcome to another episode of All Over Voiceover with Kip VH. I'm your host, Kip VH, and uh, thanks for joining us. And I am thrilled to welcome to the studio uh, Sarah Jane Sherman. Thank hello, you so Hello,
1: hello. Thank you for having me. I'm you excited bet. to be here.
0: I'm so glad that we got this to, to work out. Um, yeah. And I, I think we met, I remember auditioning for you once, maybe last year, and I, I've known about, you know, we've intersected here and Absolutely. there, but... Um, it's just great to be able to sit down and talk and... Yeah, kind of I know
1: we had a, it was a quick audition, I think, at time, so yeah. it's good to actually be able to talk for yeah, months. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Uh, there's, there's, I mean, for, for someone who's involved in casting, so often it feels like the exchanges between actors and casting are either some kind of correspondence or through a third party or in passing in that context or a workshop. Um, so it's, you know, it's just cool to get to, you know... Understand what your process is like, and you know that kind of stuff.
1: Yes, well, I appreciate you think that I have a process. <laughs> That's very nice of you. <laughs> <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> you have no process. No process? No, I'm just kidding. I have a process. I'm just teasing. <laughs> yeah. well, where Where
0: are you from originally?
1: So I'm from the Baltimore area, just oh, outside yeah. of Baltimore. Um, grew up there in a town called Columbia, Maryland, which is halfway between Baltimore and D.C., and uh-huh. then I went to school in upstate New York at Syracuse, uh-huh. um, then moved out here. It's like one of those graduated in May, moved out in June, couldn't oh, wait, wow. tried to get my dad to let me leave school. It's fine. Let me just go to Hollywood. Let me get out there. But, you know, he oh, made me man. stay. He <laughs> made you stay and finish. He made me stay and finish school because <laughs> I uh, came out here and I had an internship uh, in a, one summer. And of course, like I fell in love with it and was like, I, I want to stay, Dad. It said that I could work here and I could be a PA, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I was like, you know, but he had me go back, which was the right thing to do. And what school.
0: was what was your uh, field of study that like you television, were radio, on? and film? Oh, really? Great. Yeah.
1: So I've always been a TV person and always knew this is what I wanted to do. I didn't know it was going to be casting, but uh-huh. I knew I wanted to be in television.
0: That's so awesome. Yeah. I had a similar trajectory, and my senior year of college had an internship in Los Angeles and then had one more semester and had to go back and finish. Yeah. And it was that same feeling yeah. of, like, to be young and in it and excited about participating
1: in it. Yeah. I mean, I got to read real scripts and give my <laughs> feedback and coverage, and it was just like, I'm so aborted. No. But, uh, yeah, you're in it. It's, it's you know, energizing and yeah. electrifying, you know? It's, it's cool.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's the most fun. Awesome. So you you go back, you graduate, and then you turn right back around?
1: Yep. And then I moved out here to Los Angeles. And I was very lucky because I came out of a time when there was a lot of jobs. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, I got a job working for Stephen Bochco, who at the time was doing NYPD Blue, um, a show called City of Angels. And he was just a television god to me because I grew up watching Doogie Howser, and my parents were lawyers, so they watched L.A. Law. And I was a kid that always watched the credits. So I remember, you know, Stephen goes violin playing at the end <laughs> of the of the of each series, and I was just so into it. And so I was his corporate PA where I got the bagels.
0: Uh-huh. And
1: uh, – no, I did other things too, but I um, – I would work there nine to six or so, and then I'd leave right from there and go to the NYPD Blue set and hang out and just watch. Oh, and, um, you know, that was just my passion. That's what I love to do. I was, you know, on the Fox lot at the time, and it was just like, this is incredible. I'm in the action. I'm in it. And I would call home to my dad every day and tell him, you know, stories of uh, today – Uh, Stephen had a manicurist come in and do his nails, like, at his desk, you know? (laughs) It was just, like, these stories of what Hollywood was, and it was just everything was amazing, everything was cool, and, you know, it was a great first job.
0: Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, It just uh, floods back, like, all of that. (laughs)
1: Like, I
0: was here, and I think I I was 22, and in that window was, like, I worked at a talent agency, um... Uh, the artist agency and we represented Kelsey Grammer. Yeah. And like, they were shooting Cheers at the time and they were like, oh, you want to go watch an episode or a rehearsal of Cheers and like getting onto the, having yeah. your name at the gate to walk on at Paramount and like, ah, it was the, the best.
1: One. It was absolutely the best and I mean, agency was the other route that a lot of my friends did too. They all came in, it's like, if you work in the mail room, like uh-huh. that's the way you start. That's what everybody does and you know, it's incredible. <laughs> it's fun. S- fun.
0: So how long did you work for Steven Bochco?
1: Um, It was only eight months or so, uh, and then I went and uh, became an assistant um, for someone else that I met through in one of my old internships. Okay. And... um, her name was, uh, at the time, Meredith Metz, but now it's Meredith Roberts. Yeah. And I went, went to work with her at a company called uh, Galene Entertainment okay. that was known for doing Thomas the Tank Engine. And I was a development assistant where I was <laughs> going to be a D-girl. That's what they called them back in the day. <laughs> <A D-girl>. And <laughs> I don't even know what that means now. <laughs> um, but, you know, where I just got to be her assistant and uh, work with her. And then she went on to go to Klasky Chupo, okay. which Rugrats, uh, Rocket Power is told by Ginger, those types of shows that fed into Nickelodeon. And then she left and went to Disney, and I was very fortunate enough that uh, she brought me over to Disney as well. And she's still there; she runs Disney Television Animation, and she brought me over as my f- first um, executive job as a development coordinator. So I was with her for five years, and then got the first coordinator position over at Disney.
0: So as as a coordinator as yeah. a, in development, like what what are the tasks of that specific? Uh, gig like just to get a better insight into the just the layers of yeah. of animation production.
1: So at the time, I it was for animation and I was uh, taking pitches and uh, you know reading scripts, finding writers and finding new shows and. Uh, You know, my pride, that I always say my joy, was that um, I got to find and work uh, on Phineas and Ferb in the very beginning. Oh, wow. So that, uh, you know, was something that was very near and dear to me. And I worked in development for about a year, and that was one of the shows that I got to develop. And um, at the time, it wasn't Disney XD. It was something called JetX. So we were developing for Disney Channel and JetX. Okay. And uh, it was pretty interesting. It was just meeting a lot of writers and, you know, taking ideas and uh, seeing what I thought would make great shows or, you know, but from the junior perspective of that. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> that's, that's awesome. What, yeah. what, what's your day-to-day like in that situation? I mean, like when you, if you take a meeting with someone and come and they say, hey, I got a pitch for a great show. And you hear the pitch, you take it in, you give them notes, they write.
1: Yep. They come back with a treatment of sorts or, you know, cater to your notes. Um, and then it's my job then to sell it to the group to make sure the group is excited and then want to option the material. Um, at the time, Phineas and Ferb, it was interesting because it had uh, you know two boys as a lead, but then also the Candace aspect of it, and it was really hard to tell: was well, this for a boy audience or a girl audience? Huh. So there was a lot of that back and forth. Um, is this right for Jetix or is this right for Disney Channel? Where would it live? Um, but it was great working with those creators and helping to develop it. So it is—it's a lot of reading, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I would say, and giving feedback, and obviously being in meetings after meetings. Um, or meeting after meeting, just as you uh learn about the other projects, and you have projects all in different stages, you're not just working on one. So, sure. something might be in a pilot stage where you're going down to the casting department, or um, you know, there's a music record going, so you're going and paying attention to that, finding the theme song, those types of things. Yeah. So, putting it all together, or there's testing going on, so you're uh listening to what five year olds have to say about the show, those kinds of things.
0: Oh man, so you, uh, yeah. Like like I said, we hear Oh, it's development. But like what all the layers and all the yeah. different parts of that to have a better understanding of where voice actors fit into that world, yeah. where prospective writers, all that other kind of stuff all fall within that. That's
1: fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, I spent a lot of time going down to the the casting department that just happened to be on the floor below and um, would go down and really enjoyed that process. And they had an opening position there. So um, I talked to the person that was running it, which was Dave Wright. Uh And I said, I'd love to apply for the coordinator position. And, um, uh, you know, lo and behold, I got that job. And then I spent uh, 11 years there on his team working my way up coordinator, manager, director, executive director in the casting department. And I consider myself very lucky that I got to learn the world of animation casting at Disney. Mm. Um, you know, I don't think there's a better place I could have learned, and uh, I had great teachers along the way. Where, like I said, I grew up always watching television and knowing actors, so I think I already had that base. Yeah. But I didn't know voice actors, you know, which mm. and um, spe- people who specifically fo- fo- sorry people uh-huh. who specifically focused in voice acting—and um, so it was great to learn all those new people and see what they could do and their talents and learn how they could, you know, get the vocal separation they needed and it was a great learning on the job experience.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah. That's so great. What what like um in that process like do, where do like whether it's I assume like as you talk about from from entering that department all the way through the different levels of it like where do how do your responsibilities modify? Are like you always part of a part of a decision making team or like is it is casting done by committee or by one person or What's that process like?
1: Well, I guess the answer is it depends. Hmm. (laughs) But, um, you know, when you first start out, a lot of it is scheduling and getting to know the actors. So one of the very first shows I worked on was Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, which I came in, I believe it was second or third season. So it was already a working machine. The main actors were cast, the Fab Five Hmm. uh, characters. And my job was basically scheduling them. Every once in a while, they would have. Santa Claus being an episode, or whatever the case is, and then I'd be responsible for helping to cast that, presenting my ideas and what I was found, what I found to the creatives, and see if they were interested in it, and then if they agreed, making the offer to the talent, and then booking the talent. Gotcha. Um, as I was just getting started, Dave would help me with those deals. Um, you know, just as I was trying to feel my way through that process. Yeah. So there wasn't a ton of casting, and it was a great first show to work on.
0: Yeah, I imagine um, like it's just the, the amount of guest stars is it's just those guys. Yeah.
1: And also those people could cover the incidental voices, you know, and they could um, cover secondary and, you know, other roles as they came in as needed. Um, And then I worked on a show called Yin Yang Yo, which was interesting because it was out of Toronto. Hmm. And I mean, I barely had any grasp on the people, the voice actors in the, in the U S. And then it was like, (laughs) you know, let's cast in Toronto. I was like, I have no idea who's there. Okay. So then I had to learn that world as well. Um, and what was interesting is we recorded that show once a month for a weekend where the creator would be in L.A. the whole time, but then would fly up for a Saturday and Sunday record and record uh, 9 to 1, 2 to 6 Saturday, 9 to 1, 2 to 6 Sunday, yeah. and then come back home. So we'd get those four episodes all in one weekend. Wow. Um, and that was such a versatile cast as well that I could just assign the roles So while it was casting, it wasn't going out and finding necessarily new actors a ton. Yeah. Um, so those were good shows to kind of get my feet wet in casting as I was starting to learn. But where you really learn is the audition process. Hmm. Um, When you do have a breakdown that you send out and you get these hundreds of auditions in, you really listen to what each actor can do. And then even more so, the callback phase, Hmm. when people come in, you get to meet them face to face and see them and say, okay, they're fine. Okay, they can do this. They can do that and start to put it together. Hmm. Um, So, yeah, over 11 years, I learned a few things, I guess, (laughs) (laughs) learned how to do it. Um, And then by the end, you have the trust and the authority where you can, you know, just do it on your own and – Dave was still there, but I got to be the second uh, in command there and, uh, you know, really had full control over my shows, working with uh, executive producers on helping them to execute their visions.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. How um, When you get to a point where you really get a sense of what the talent pool is like in a, in a specific market, uh, in particular when it comes to, you know, who are heavy hitters and who are people who are incredibly versatile, like when you're putting together uh, – how do I describe this? Like often if I'm if like I'm directing a show over at Second City, I, and I go through the audition process and I start cherry picking my, my people together. I think like I'm building a team. Right. So is what is that process like for you? If you're assembling a, a show, do you go to who, you know, are to use my. My uh, my Avengers metaphor. You, I know I've got a handful of of Tony Starks that I could plug in. One is going to be the guy I want to build around. Or do you just audition everything? Or what's what's your process for how you assemble a show? I'm sure it depends. But yeah, like... I mean
1: it depends on what the creator's looking for, and the type of show, and the type of character it is. But. I'm still learning and there's new actors mm. out there all the time and the actors I know are learning new skills all the time. Huh. So while I can, if i have, if I'm in a binds and I have to cast something very quickly, yes, I can pull my five Tony Starks immediately and get them in there and they'll knock it out of the park. Sure. But to keep myself relevant and to keep myself fresh so that I'm not providing the same names that another casting director is that another casting director is, what is making me special, what is making me stand out, hmm. maybe that I'm out there still finding new talent and still scouting and seeing who's available, and finding the next Tony Stark and the next Tony Stark. Yeah. Um, well, apparently we have a lot of Tony Stark. We have
0: novels. a lot of Tony Stark.
1: Um, <laughs> but, right. you know, I just think it's important. So I'll, I'll have an idea of who I want and hopefully request those people yeah. if they don't come in. But then let the agents also say, hey, well, have you heard this person? They've, they're have they new and, you know, we're excited about this person. Also doing my own scouting. Hmm. Um. I watch a lot of television, movies, uh, going out to theater, to comedy uh, shows and to festivals or, uh, you know, those types of things. Showcases, seeing who's out there and seeing who else I can find. Wow. You know, because if if it is the same five people all the time, they wouldn't need a casting director.
0: Yeah, right. You know,
1: it's like, okay, we get it. You're going to pitch these five people. Understood.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> Where, I mean, what's what's your... um. Let's, let's jump to auditions. When when you receive an audition, like, I, I hear people say all the time, make bold choices. What, is, what does bold choice mean to you?
1: Well, I mean, make a bold choice, but make the right choice, right? <laughs> you know, give me what I'm looking for. Yeah. Um. But, you know, I think when they say that, they mean stand out. Um. So many times, because I do a lot of coaching as well Um. Mm. on shows that are not my own, but other people are making, doing auditions for other shows. Yeah. And... They think a lot of times it's, oh, here's the voice of the character. I'm going to read five lines all just in the voice of the character straight through. And it's like, yes, that is your job. That is what you're being tasked with. But you're also tasked with bringing this character to life and adding that physicality. And when I take my top selects and pass them on to the executive uh, producer or executives, um, they have to hear this character come to life. And when I think making bold choices, I think of finding the range of the character within those sides. Hmm. If you have five lines, I want to feel five different emotions. Uh, I'm a strong believer that auditioning is different than once you book the job. Yeah. So show me where the character could go, even though you only have these five lines. Assume that it, maybe it's not the whole episode. Maybe it's a whole series worth, you know, and you're showing the arc of the character. Yeah. Um, because if the, if the casting director doesn't like just the one voice you selected or the one area you put them in or this character in, then that's all you have to show. But if Mm. you're showing excited and there's two lines or two sentences in one line for excited, maybe you're showing excited up here and then you show excited down here. You know, you get to, I think that's a bold choice because it's not just, oh, I'm excited, loud, and happy throughout the whole way, but I'm showing more range of this character.
0: Yeah, yeah. The importance of levels and and that revealing also your comic sensibility, your comic timing, All those kind of things.
1: Yeah, and really adding that physicality to it. Um, You know, sometimes when I work with people, they're like, wow, you really break these down. But I think you can find so much more in a line if you really picture what is happening. And sometimes it's, well, I don't know. They don't say what's happening. It's like, okay, but make up something then. What is fully happening? Well, I'm a teacher, great, but what are you doing? Well, I'm standing in front of a class. And then I say, great, what teacher do you know just stands there with their arms at the side talking to students with no movement whatsoever? Do you walk around? Do you talk to one particular student? Do you uh, curse your job? Do you (laughs) love your job? You know, what all those kinds of things that you could do all impact your voice. And I think that's part of making those bold choices is adding that physicality and those kinds of sounds that come naturally. Because if you're a technical person and you're creating this dynamic performance, I tell people, great, let's make sure you adjust the pitch, the pace, and the volume of your voice, finding those movements in there so it's not all one level. Um, But if you're not a technical person, that's where the physicality could come in. Great. How does your voice change by standing up in the middle of what you're saying or plopping down in the middle of what you're saying? How does all that impact your voice?
0: Oh, man. (laughs) That's fantastic. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot to take I know, in. And process. I'm a talker.
1: I'm sorry. I'm no, like blah blah blah. I love it. I really <laughs> love
0: it because, like, I I mean I'm, I've just been teaching a, an improv for VO class over at Second City, and the nature of our conversation has been, you know, there's a lot of voiceover actors repeating these sort of myths or perceptions or ideas about. Well, what casting wants these sort of generic sweeping statements about no one knows what they want, but it was like to me that I, I pointed to one of the actors and I was like, okay, well, what do you want in a, in a spouse? And he was like, well, I, it's really hard for me to pinpoint. I was like, well, does that mean that you're wrong, or does that mean that you're clueless? He says, no, I know it when I hear it. I know when I when I see her. I was like, well, okay then. Then that's how you need to approach the work in a way, right?
1: Yeah. And it's the same, you know, people always say, oh, I heard the casting director only listens to the first line. So you got to make that first line amazing. Yeah. But it's not that we're listening for that first line to be amazing. We're just listening in those first couple of seconds to know if you're the right voice for the role. Mm. You know, so it's not necessarily like you, you got to put so much weight on that first line. That first line is everything. But it's just because I've been doing it for so long. I can tell in the first 10 seconds, is this voice what they're looking for? Yes. Let me keep listening. No, this is not in the ballpark. They're mm. asking for a 13 year old girl and you're a 40 year old old man like i can tell pretty quickly that's (laughs) not gonna work that's right you know so it's not necessarily that you weren't bold enough in that first choice um but you might not have been vocally what they were looking for yeah yeah
0: Uh, that makes a lot of sense that's great as you're describing like not only your coaching and your experience but like and you're playing through different types of you know both energetically like there's also like this sort of relaxed Vibe, is that something that you're looking for in reads as well? Like, if it's called for, like, I mean, like going back to Tony Stark, that's a pretty relaxed character, versus uh, you know, Red Skull is a less relaxed sort of a character. Like, um, but is it is it is it like tonality? Like, what what other things are are flag your ear to go, oh, this might not be right for this project, but this is someone I'm interested in hearing down the road on other things.
1: Yeah. I mean, a good performance is a good performance. If it's mm. not right for this, great. Let me flag it. And I'm casting numerous things. So um, it's not right for this show. It could be right for another show or another role.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, comedy, comedy, comedy. Um, mm. If I laugh like that's that's great. And it's like, you know, I forwarded. A, oftentimes I do, a, you know, here are the people that I think are in the range. Here are the people that made me laugh out loud. Wow. And um I think it's worth sending because a lot of times they're like, you're right. They aren't work right for this, but they're right for this other character we're doing. Or they are super funny. Um, and I, let's change the character for this person. Uh. Like those kinds of things happen all the time. So comedy does tend to be king in a lot of ways, assuming that it's a comedic piece. Yes. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think that's really special when you can make somebody laugh that has heard the same lines 200 times, you know, or has a new fresh take. It's like, wow, OK, that's really interesting. Um they're not just giving me what I want to hear, putting or trying to force themselves into the role. They're putting the role onto them and bringing what they have uh, to the character.
0: That's great. That's such an important distinction, too. Like that sense of I'm going to wrestle this character so that you can see me kind of shine through. Like one of the things I wanted to ask you was about improvisation and like how much, not how much improv to do in a thing, but like uh. When it comes to commercial auditions, I'm very comfortable making tweaks changes to mm-hmm. lines, but but with animation and with video game with dramatic theatrical pieces, I'm way more reticent to do that. And I don't know if that's uh appropriate or not, but but hearing that makes me feel like, no, that's right. Like if you're going to make a strong em- emotional choice rather than rewrite the thing to make it funnier to your point of view. Yeah.
1: So it's funny because when I first started answering this question like years ago, I'd say, yes, definitely ad-lib, always ad-lib. And what ended up happening was I got a lot of not funny ad-libs. Mm. So I've I've yeah. uh, changed my stance on this. Um, making sure your ad-libs genuinely plus the material. Mm. So making it, um, you know, let your, letting your personality come out. Sometimes I have people, you know, they write something for every line. I say, great, leave one third in, you know, mm. because what I hate and I think what gets tough is when the ad-libs become formulaic and I become to expect them which makes it not as funny so they have a line then add a little joke then have the line then add a little button or whatever the case is and it's like yeah okay and I guess what's going to happen on the third one (laughs) you know Um, and then it's not as funny and not as exciting too so just making sure your ad libs are genuinely funny if they're going to be comedic or but i don't consider sounds laughs breaths gasps i don't consider those ad libs i consider yeah. them you bringing that character to life and adding that physicality i guess i'm speaking specifically from the right trying to you know get a little joke in there yeah um, one thing people also do with ad libs which makes it hard is when they stand out too much like they leave too much of a pause in there cuz i can hear them thinking about the joke where it's just a little bit like, no, uh, say the line is, I, I can't even make up something on the spot. I want to go to the store. I want to go to that crazy store over, like where it feels <laughs> like it's okay. Like you're like, like you said, wrenching that in yeah. to try to make a joke when you're just talking longer and not plussing that material.
0: Yeah. Oh man. That's so true. Like it's, Nothing is served in that aside from your own sense of doing something different or like the standing out for the sake of standing out rather than standing out because you are invested and make a truthful choice.
1: Yeah. And then what ends up happening is, you know, if I'm listening to, again, these 400 auditions, you know, you're making my audition listening twice as long, you know, or whatever the case <laughs> is. And it's like and it's yeah. not even helping you out. Yeah. Um. So just making sure that your ad libs and stuff plus the material um, you're judicious with them and really mm-hmm. kind of ask yourself, is this funny? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and having the ability to be like, no, that wasn't my best one or that was a good one. Because if it truly makes you laugh, I want to hear it because again, I'm trying to match, this is kind of what you were touching on, the comedic sensibility of the actor as well as the writer and the executive producer producer yeah. making sure they get each other's jokes and their each other's brand of comedy yeah. so if what they're if you're you know what you are doing you think is genuinely funny great and then the executive producer laughs at it even better and then right. it's a match made in heaven um so, yeah, if you think it's funny and it makes you laugh, then great.
0: But if you're thoughtful as an actor and get the joke of the copy, deliver the joke.
1: Yes. <laughs> like, yeah.
0: like, make what's funny there funny.
1: Yes, because hopefully there is a joke somewhere in there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's your process? I'm jumping all over the place, but um, I'm fascinated by, by your process. What's your process with your, like, um, sides selection? Like... Um, is that how much of that is informed to you or we really want to make sure that this is something that we hear as uh, imagining a committee of people, or is it like, here's the pilot Please have them do something like
1: yeah. out of that. So I try to have a say in the sides if I can, mm. um, because I think there's there's a, a way to do them. I want to make sure uh, out of five lines we don't have the first three excited. You know, it's like great. So you said in your character description, this character is excitable. This character is flirtatious. This character is lovable. This character hates her brother and whatever else. So I want to make sure there's a line where she's excitable, a line where there she's flirtatious, a line where she hates her brother. Just other, you know, so that they can actually use what you're telling them in the character description to bring this character to life. Show me the sides of the character, truly. And it's yeah. not all one note. Um, I try to make sure that there's not a shouting line right in the beginning a lot of times uh-huh. because I can't always tell what the vocal quality is from the shouting lines in the beginning. So if there's going to be a yelling line, I try to make it a little bit further down. Yeah. Um, I love when the first line is just the character being true to themselves naturally and being able to use their real voice. That's not like a sarcastic line where they're putting on a voice or putting yeah. on a character. Um, and uh, I try to limit the sides. A lot of times I get lines that are like, here are 15 lines. It's like, okay, let's, let's save that for maybe callbacks or whatever the case is. Let's get a sense of who's out there with these first five lines or whatever the case is. Um, I also want to give the actor as much direction uh, so many times i get well we just want to see what the actor does with it And it's like okay but you have to at least guide them a little bit to where you're trying to go otherwise we're going to have a bunch of auditions that are not going to serve us in any way shape or form and i'm oh. sending this out again two weeks later yeah. um so what information can i give them that still allows the actor to make choices um and tells them you know where to go with it or kind of what direction we're looking for but they can add their personality and, and, like I said, make some choices. And then on the flip side, I get sides that it's written out like whispered faster, slow down here, where it's literally spelled out for the yeah. actor, um, which is hard, too, because then it's hard to see the actor's uh, interpretation of it. They're just doing what you're asking them to do exactly. Yeah. Um, and are you going to do that for the scripts moving forward? <laughs> and every script you're going to have, you know, broken down that way? Right. Probably not. So... Then are we in trouble once we go to series if you're spelling it out like that?
0: (laughs) Oh man, that's great. That's uh, that's really helpful to know too. To like the the first the first side being something that's like let's hear kind of you know like in my in my mind it's like a character sheet of like a front shot of like Yogi Bear, yeah, and then all the different. Uh, sides of his, uh, you know, you know those old one sheets that they have on display over at Warner Brothers yeah. and stuff. And they use them everywhere. But like a profile of surprise and all that other kind of stuff. Yeah. But letting that first bit sort of introduce the character to you in a way if it if it makes sense in that, in that moment.
1: Yep. A lot of the Disney sides we used to send out really were the first line from the pilot pretty much explaining who the character was. Like, <laughs> you know, hi, I'm so-and-so. And, I, you know, it's usually those types of lines. Um, and I always think these are a good introduction because it gives us a sense of what the actor is going to do, just for the the baseline of the character. Then yeah. then we get a little crazy with certain uh, emotions, but it's good to know just what everyday talking the character would sound like.
0: That's great. What's okay? So someone someone punches through. They make your list of selects. Right. How how many people do you generally generally call back for for a callback?
1: Well, my process is so depending on how specific the sides are. I can get anywhere between 200 to 400 auditions, say. Okay. I like to say if it's a uh, rock in his 20s to 40s, I'll get the 400 auditions. If it's a... uh Nine-year-old Afro-Irish boy from with a Southern accent. I'll get four. You know, it's one of one of those kind of things. Yeah. Um, just depending on how specific the breakdown is. Okay. But um, when I get the auditions, I sift them through and do a yes, no, maybe file. So that's that's my process, my personal process. Because when I hear that first audition, I don't know if that's the best one I'm going to hear of the day or the worst one I'm going to hear of the day. Huh. So that's where I kind of do the yes, no, maybe. Um, this is absolutely no way like the character. Okay, this is good. okay. This is interesting. You know, as I'm doing that. And then after I do that, I go through and listen to my yeses and maybes to try to uh, even it out. Yeah. So, being that I'm freelance, uh, every studio is different of what they want to hear. Um, so some it's just you know give me your top ten mm-hmm. takes or even your top five takes of who you're who you're liking, depending on our relationship and how I'm getting the, the trust level that's there and how I'm getting to know the uh, creative team. Yeah. And uh, I've had some shows where it's like you know send us the, the all top fifty those kinds of things where I want to listen to everything, send me everything. Um, Not because they don't trust me necessarily, but they just really want to dig in and hear what people have, uh, have submitted. So for the most part, I do consider myself the gatekeeper of those auditions. Um, As a freelancer, uh, I believe in total transparency and I want to make sure I'm on the same page as my creatives. And I do think it takes a little bit of time for us to learn each other and each other's sensibilities and that subjective nature of, you know, what makes a, a great read. So I'll say, here are my yeses, here's what I'm really liking, but here's what I had in maybes, and here's all the no's in case you want to eyeball it. Because every once in a while, they'll come back and say, you know, oh, this person I heard red and I didn't get to hear that. How come you didn't send that to me? So they can just look through, and um, sometimes they like to just take a quick listen to the no's. Okay, great. That's, you know, exactly what I was thinking too. We're, yeah. in, we're in sync here. Because I have to really swallow my ego in that is my job is just to fill the roles. And great if it's my idea and my suggestion and I do my best to give the best suggestions. But sure. if somebody walking in on the team says, what about this person? And, you know, that's who gets the role. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, it's really just all about getting that best voice. And uh, you kind of, yeah, every, it's a team effort. Yeah.
0: <laughs> What's been that process for you of going from being inside Disney for 11 years and then t- transitioning into a freelance uh, casting
1: experience? Well, I think it was... I mean, it was tough. So, originally, about two years ago, and the reason I saw you at that time was that I um, had got appro- uh, gotten approached by John Stewart's assistant saying he was doing a new project with HBO and it was an adult political parody, Would I Want to Come Be Their Head of Casting? And it was a really tough decision for me. Mm-hmm. One, because... Um, You know, I love my time at Disney. I loved working there. I loved casting these Disney shows. My team was fantastic. My boss was fantastic. And it was a really tough decision. Um, But at the time, I was the second in command, and this was my chance to get my um, own department and to get my uh, feet wet in adult animation, which I hadn't done before. I'd only worked in kids. And um, getting to launch a department and start something from scratch. But... um, you know, I was scared, as with any leap, and sure. uh, you know, I didn't know what to do. So I talked to my boss at the time and said, "So what should I do?" And he's like, "Wait, so they're going to have you run your own department. You're going to get more money and learn new things. What do What's you the- think?" <laughs> you know, and I was like, right. "Okay, okay, I guess I see what going. <laughs> Um So then I ended up leaving, and it was a you know great experience. But what it really taught me quickly was oh, I don't know how to cast a show. I know how to cast a Disney show. Oh, wow. Okay, what does that mean? You know? And it was relearning. Why I went in to see you and some other people was relearning people from not a Disney perspective. Hmm. I had sides that had swear words in them. <laughs> you know? It was right. like, wow, this is a big difference. Like, even hearing yeah. that, I was like, ooh, that's really different. Yeah. Um, But learning people not from what they were performing from a Disney aspect of it, but what they could do of parodies because I never had to really do parodies too much at mm. Disney and uh sound alike voices and things like that. And it was a very ambitious project that John had set out to do and ultimately didn't end up working out um for a series. And so that project got pulled, you know, about six months into into my tenure there. Mm-hmm. And so then I found myself like, oh my gosh I'm in the freelance world. What do I do? Yeah. You know, my job had been um, someone else had taken over my job and got promoted into it. What am I going to do now? And really, it ended up being the kick in the pants I needed oh, to wow, start a freelance career for myself. And like I did a three pronged approach where I was doing uh, voice casting, voice directing and then coaching. And first stop was uh, any studio that did not have an in-house casting director. So I went to Warner Brothers. Uh-huh. And reached out to them and said, hey, you know, I'm available. If you have any shows, you need cast. And I was very fortunate that my first show was Looney Tunes Cartoons that I got to cast there. And then I ended up getting uh, Animaniacs there as well for casting and directing. And then Cartoon Network, I went over there because they also didn't have an in-house casting department. And um, made a connection with their shorts program. So I got to cast and direct their shorts that they have there. And that led to me getting a series there. Um, And then Disney, they have the in-house casting team, but because of my relationships there, um, I was able to get some directing on a new show at the time, 101 Dalmatian Street, directing the U.S. talent. And then also I was in a unique perspective because I was so familiar with all the shows that I made a good substitute voice director for them. So so so-and-so would go on vacation. Could I jump in and do it? And I was like, I was already familiar with the show. Yes, I could do it. Um, so-and-so isn't able to do the promo or the game of this show. Can you come in and do it? Yes. Yeah. And they trusted me and I would do hour here, hour there yeah. Um, to be able to do that. So, you know, kind of piecing together, I guess, yeah. my business and, you know.
0: That's such a fascinating, like, overview of this industry that you've been a part of. But then to be having a sense of, like, adapting to the sensibilities of all the different studios. Yeah, and
1: they all are very different and have very different uh, processes and ways they like to do things in different budgets, which allow me to do different things at each yeah. studio. Um, some you know, what I learned was some of the studios don't even do callbacks, you know, it's like, well, we're not going to, you know, we're fine with the first choices. We don't need to bring people in and spend the money on callbacks. It's like, oh, wow. So then that translates to my coaching. Like we got to nail it in these MP3s because some studios are casting right off the call, uh, right off of the initial record. They're not, you know, don't wait to kill it at the callback. You got to knock it out of the park at the initial record. Um, But as I was booking these jobs, the coaching kind of kept me going. And obviously I'm coaching on things that I have no affiliation or no contact with yeah. um, but just helping people <laughs> for some reason my bread and butter tends to be uh, people who are going in for Disney general auditions uh-huh. I would help them prep because I you know ran those for so long yeah. so it's kind of being on the other side and helping them get ready for those types of auditions oh, that's great yeah
0: how did you uh, I, I'm assuming because you're talking also directing now animation sessions and stuff like that how did that process come about while you were at Disney and I assume it happened while you were at Disney. Were you directing there? No, as well? I, I
1: mean I was doing auditions, like callback auditions and okay. things like that, or filling in for people, but not a ton of directing. The directing more came when I started working with John Stewart, and we were doing these fast turnarounds, and I was directing actors via Skype while they were recording at home. Okay. Um, and then it just kind of snowballed, and in, uh, in the freelance world, they really want you to be able to do both whether they hire you for both, you know, that's one thing, but they want you to be able to do both. Yeah. Um, to do the casting and directing because they get a nice package deal. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's probably the thing that makes me least comfortable in the mm. beginning because casting, I just get, and it's just like, I get yeah. that that's the, it's not easy, but it's the easiest thing that I do. Yeah. Um, And directing, I, I think so much more about that and I'm so focused and that takes me so much more time of prepping the scripts and getting ready. Um. Just because I haven't done it for twenty years,
0: yeah, <laughs> you know, sure. Um,
1: but you know, I'm get, i get, you know, I, I do it. <laughs>
0: it's this crazy process of leveling up in a in a career, and then you know, planting your roots or shooting. <laughs> That's a weirdest image, is like tentacles down into the dirt. Uh, I don't even know what that makes any sense at all. But like just getting your bearings and and adapting and and then feeling comfortable in that space.
1: Yeah, well, there's, I mean, there's so many talented freelance casting directors and voice directors out there. So what do I offer that's different from them? Or um, what's my specialty? What's my niche if I have one? Or am I adaptable and can do anything, you know, work with any type of show? Um, But since I hired a lot of those voice directors on, when I was the casting director side, oh. I have a lot of good relationships with them. And we've even paired up together before. It's like, okay, I'm not able to direct this one, but maybe I'll cast it, you direct it, or whatever the case is. And, awesome. um, you know, everyone's been great in that sense and, you know, so great to work with. And so that's been good.
0: That's so fun. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I love the variety that this career can can give you. And like, yeah. you know... I mean, and teaching has been a component, but like interfacing with 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 actors in that way of encouraging and advice as well. And like all that kind of stuff. Um, it's interesting how that I don't know if how that's been your experience, too. But like coaching folks and doing that, like it gives a, it gives you stuff in a different way. Yeah. Like what's what what led you into that space as well?
1: Well, I think it just is something I've always done classes, but I hadn't done as much individual coaching. Um, And I mean, the the power of the internet was crazy, right? I just kind of created a website and popped it up there. And without even doing any marketing or advertising, like people would find me. And especially maybe because I offered online stuff too, a lot of Hmm. Skype stuff that people all over the US or the world even can find me and get that coaching. But I mean, I love when I coach someone and they book the role. And I mean, that's really exciting. And you know, because I know that there are hundreds of auditions and it's like, oh, I got the call back. Great. That's a feat in and of itself. Yeah. You know, OK, great. Now I actually booked the role. That's amazing. Um, but but I mean, I think that it, it's great. But what I think is, is interesting is that I, I know I can't take the full credit on that because it is these actors. It's like, yes, I yeah. can give them the tools that they need, but it's like these actors going in and killing it. Yeah. But what extra edge can I give them from my listening to hundreds upon thousands yeah. of auditions of what I would want to hear. Yeah. Um, you know, especially because right now I found myself doing a lot of sound-alikes and parody casting, which I don't even know how that happened, but now I'm doing that. <laughs> um, with a lot of the shows that I work on, and it's little tips. Okay, great, you sound like that character, but every once in a while I hear this character coming through, mm. and if they start thinking about that character, they're not going to consider you for this. So I'd rather you sound less like the character than sound more like somebody well or something else well known or whatever yeah. the case is. Um so little tips that I can give um I love doing it if I can. It's exciting. <laughs> that's
0: awesome. Oh, that's great. What um what general oh, this is general. Uh well, general. Like what what ad, what's kind of your stock advice? Like if you're you're at a convention and someone is like, "How do I what advice do you have for actors?" <laughs> that's the most generic question I may have ever asked.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think You'd be surprised about how many – actually, you probably wouldn't be surprised because you're a teacher, too. But it's, um, you know, I have a funny voice. I should be in cartoons and those types of things. I get that all the time. Yeah. Um, people who have no acting training at all um, wanting to do it. And I've tried to stop using voiceover and tried to, you know, just use voice acting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: because I get, you know, it's the – like, I want to be in voiceovers. And it's like, okay, great. Well, it's like voice acting. And my next question is great. Like, what acting training have you done? Have you studied? No, no, nothing. And it really is these people who just have no background at all and, you know, just really have no idea that they need to be good actors for it. Yeah. Um, Like, yes, maybe they've always come up with great characters, and I think that's fantastic, but you got to back it up with the acting. Um, And then I refer them to comedy classes as well. But Mm. I think that's kind of the main thing. Yeah. and again, picturing the scene and really like bringing themselves into the character. And it's more than the words on the page. Because again, if 399 other people are reading the words on the page, why am I going to pick you? Like, why are you someone that is going to be put in that yes folder? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it really comes down to the acting.
0: Mm. That's so true. It's, 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 I don't know, it's, it's crazy to me that it's, that it, that that isn't put together, but like, I mean, I know that, like so many classes that I've taught the people who have come in their their main goal is to get into animation specifically too, like it's i want to do v l but I specifically want to do cartoons yeah. and uh if and that is at its heart is the most important thing is that you can be doing is training your ear acting shop so that you can make informed choices.
1: What I think is also interesting that people don't realize and i mean this is not not to dissuade anyone, but it's like Your audition is going to be next to the best of the best of the best. It's not like, oh, well, here's the special section for people that are just getting started in auditions. You know, it's no, you're going to be reading against your heroes, the reason you got into this business in the first place. So you got to bring it, you know, where it's like you do have to be at the top of your game. And yes, we're looking for different voices and different sounds. But don't think that, you know, the top five females and top five males voice actors of all time are not going to be right in that mix with you reading
0: for a serious lead on something yes yeah and it's going to be
1: the very next one i listen to if i go i hear yours then i'm going to hear theirs right you know and will i notice a difference you know and Hmm. it is that acting that it's going to have to you know be stepped up and what do you bring that makes you special and what makes you unique sometimes i ask people that and they're just kind of like oh i I don't know nothing it's like well if you hate your audition and if you hate what you're doing should i like it or do you need me to tell you no you're great you're great (laughs) you know
0: like, why would you send something that you go, "Ugh, there it's done." Yeah, like if you have that intention when you're sending something out, yeah, you're asking your agent to stand behind that, You're asking a casting director to stand behind that, like,
1: yeah, you're putting everybody's reputation on the line with it, mm-hmm. right? Your own when you send it in because you're proud of it, your agents because then they're representing you. Then if I pass it along, you know, then it's a reflection of me. Right. Um, things like that, yeah. Oh,
0: man. Uh, Dude, this has been completely fascinating, and (laughs) I I can't tell you how much I appreciate, like, you coming in and and talking about all this stuff. Um, If if people want to uh, study with you or follow you uh, on social – are you active on social media? Do you do stuff on –
1: Yes, I would say. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Convincingly. I mean, I own them. I own a Twitter account, an Instagram account. No, um, probably the easiest way is my website, which is the com, uh-huh. And then my Twitter is at Sarah Jane Sherman. Um, Instagram is at Sarah.Sherman. So pretty much my name if you Google me. <laughs> I'm around.
0: That's awesome and um what what's just out of curiosity as we as we wrap up like what's something that you've uh that you've seen or heard or listened to lately that's that's um either movie podcast whatever something that's inspired you in one way or another
1: Oof. um there's a podcast that I really like called my favorite murder
0: oh really
1: yeah, and it's uh really great these two women talking about uh murder in it and it's You know, which is a very gruesome thing, but they're also bringing some uh, the stories behind it and really great storytelling and bringing these characters to life and also just chatting with them and how they weave everything. And such such a topic that would be like, well, why would you want to listen to a whole you know podcast on that? But they're comedians and they bring these uh you know such a I don't want to say levity to it because I mean murder is very serious and stuff. But like they the way they talk about it is just so. You just want to keep listening to it, you know, and, and I like that. I, I like.
0: Are they just telling stories? Are they acting stuff out? Is it a dramatic well, thing? No, they're it...
1: telling they're telling about murder cases that happened and telling stories of it. And they do this whole piece of hometown murders where people write in things that happened in their town. And, um, you know, and it's like they react to it. And it's just so emotional, but it's great. And it's I don't know, a lot of really cool stuff. But. You know, I recommend that. My Favorite Murder.
0: My Favorite Murder. Yeah. Um, I've been obsessed with Revisionist History by Malcolm Gladwell. That's Uh been the podcast I've just been driving around town listening to. He just wrapped up.
1: Well, you've got the commute. So you've got I got the commute. So it's always
0: like, it's like that, This American Life. And then there's this movie podcast, this movie, three, four, like uh, movie reviewers from Chicago reviewing current films. But then comparing them to older films. Uh, so like they did – I haven't seen this uh, once upon a time in Hollywood yet because my wife had a massive uh, allergic reaction on the way to the movie theater. I oh, know. But, uh, but um, found out she's allergic to chicken. So
1: Like a new allergy or she'd never had chicken before and then all of a dude, sudden
0: – Dude, I,
1: I... – <laughs> Okay, I'm... sorry. It's, oh, no, it's okay. It's, no, it's all <laughs> right. Like
0: she had anaphylactic reaction in the car to chicken. She's had chicken her whole life. No problem. But like with menopause hit and it's like – all of a sudden, she's allergic to onions, garlic, um, soy, dairy, peanuts, like, all these things. Wow. So, like, no processed food. And we were just, we bought tickets to the movie. Our daughter was at a birthday party. Yeah. And we're driving, and all of a sudden, she's like, she could feel her, like, the first symptoms yeah. of her throat closing up. And uh, took two EpiPens. We still had to call the, uh, the, uh. Uh, the fire department to come.
1: Wow! I'm so so sorry to hear that. I
0: didn't mean to take it so dark. Uh, <laughs> she's fine. She's great uh, yeah. right now. But but and you
1: saved me from my ma- my favorite murder reference. So thank you for taking <laughs> <You laughs> it Absolutely. one step further. <laughs> Fortunately, <laughs>
0: yeah, But like, but now we know. Yeah. And like, that's that's a gift of yeah. like knowing knowing that. But it's been the past three years have been like this discovery of her allergies, and it's been. Wow. Fortunately she's she's a great cook and is comfortable in the kitchen and now like makes everything herself. But yeah. Anyway. Oof. Yeah, it was a trip. So that's that's our once upon a time in Hollywood story. So once I see the movie I'll be able to compare it to what we're what he talking about. Anyway, yeah. blah blah blah. <laughs> I
1: made it weird.
0: No, no, not. <laughs> but it's 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 been crazy. But um, that's all good. But um, I can't. Again, thank you so much for coming in thank and for, for talking me. with me and uh, and our listeners. And uh, yes, and and thank you for tuning in. And we'll uh, talk to you soon. Peace. Bye, guys this has been all over voiceover with Kif VH. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and give us a positive rating. It truly helps. Follow me on Twitter at KifBH or on Instagram at Kif VH, or on Vero at Kif VH. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you soon. Claim victory and depart the field. Werewolf. Yeah.